Right, welcome everyone to Fastlift's podcast, episode 46. Um, my special guest today is Brandon De La Cruz. Very happy to have you on. Uh, thanks for coming on, Brandon. How are you doing? I'm doing well, my man. I appreciate you having me. Excited awesome. to be here. Fantastic. So um, now I first uh, sort of met Brandon on uh, Instagram as uh, we started following each other a while back and I was really interested in his posts and something that I've wanted, I've really admired about Brandon is when you look at him, he looks fantastic. He looks like a fitness model. However, <laughs> if you read his post, he's actually really, really intelligent. He's got some cool stuff to say. So I was very impressed by that because you see these people on Instagram who are kind of a diamond dozen fitness personalities and just have the abs and then they have some kind of like weird philosophical unrelated saying. But Unfortunately, that's, that's usually the case. Usually the case, but you look amazing. But I look, I read your posts and there's actual good knowledge there. So I'm like, this guy knows his stuff. I need to get him on the podcast. Um, so please, Brandon, if you want to give us a, a bit of an introduction to yourself, that'd be great. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, first and foremost, let me say thank you. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate the compliments. Uh, I appreciate your posts as well. Always very insightful, knowledge-based, evidence practices, um, which I both value and I respect. So let me say that first and foremost. But, you know, I'm from New Jersey, so I'm over in the States. Um, I am not only a fitness model, I, I compete, but also my profession is in this. So I'm actually a national sales director of a supplement company based out of New York uh, called Innova Farm. I've been working in the supplement industry the past 10 years, and that's really where my passion stemmed from. Initially, it was training related, and then I just got into this deep dive into nutrition and into supplementation on the ergogenic side. And uh, that's really what's fueled um, the last 10 years of my life. Uh, this is literally, I do, this is everything to me. I coach, I you know do national sales, I train, this is my lifestyle, and I try to live this and emulate the things that I preach, not only on social media, but preach in my everyday life to clients, to friends, to fans, to followers, um, 365, because I feel like, like you said, with especially with a lot of people that have a good look, a lot of times, you know, I've worked with a lot of companies over the years, a lot of the guys don't have the knowledge behind it, and it's they're more so getting results in spite of what they do, rather than because of what they do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a conversation with a, with a PT once and um, he said, you know, if most people just clean up their act a little bit, they'll be able to get a uh, six pack abs. And I was like, you don't really understand how difficult it is for some people. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And it's unfortunate <laughs> that a lot of times people will, uh, I'm sure we'll dive into training ideologies and things of that sort, but they'll take the things that they see in Flex magazine or, you know, in the old muscular developments and they apply it to themselves and they wonder why they don't see results. You know, and they think that it's because they're not meant to be or they don't have the genetics. And that is a component, don't get me wrong, but it's also that they're not following the right people and they're not applying the right practices to their own programming to optimize their results. Yeah, I think we're quite fortunate these days. In the last 10 years, the uh, research on hypertrophy, muscle science, fat loss has really accelerated. When I first started training in 2000, we had a lot of this research on sports science to do with like strength and we kind of tried to extrapolate that towards bodybuilding it didn't really work Absolutely. but now it's a lot of stuff on actual bodybuilding which is fantastic i couldn't agree more it's it's great to even see especially on the nutrition side as well as on supplementation side for me as a career that people are going towards uh, more evidence-based practice as well as doing research and, and clinical data because think about it just like with training we used to take what the bros said in the gym and apply it to ourselves people did the same thing with nutrition ideologies as well as with supplementation ideologies you had prop blends you had these fad diets which are still prominent yeah. in today's society but now we know you know it's more you know the law of thermodynamics calories in calories out and things of that sort where we could more objectively look at things and say there are many methods and ways to get to 
the result you want. It doesn't have to just be one. It doesn't have to be keto. It doesn't have to be high carb. You don't have to take one approach. You could take many roads to the same destination. Yeah, love it. It's great. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll start off with um, some of the, the questions we've got listed. Now, what I like to do in this podcast is I like to give people an idea of my guest's background because I think ultimately what this podcast is about is that it's heart, it's fitness, but we branch out into other things like business and, and all kinds of stuff, but it's heart, it's, it's business. And, it, and the, the, the heart of it is fitness. And I want to get to know people's stories. So let's take it back to the, your beginning. We all have a backstory. What motivated you to start bodybuilding? And when did you originally begin just lifting weights? When did young Brandon yeah, begin lifting weights? Absolutely. All right. So we're, we're taking it back. Yep. Um, rarely do I get the chance to talk about this, but honestly, I was the type of person that I never liked um, really fictional things. So I wasn't, you know, you hear a lot of guys, they talk about like these, they had um, like a fascination with Marvel and Capcom and comic book characters that honestly was never me. Um, however, I was very into specific sports growing up and, you know, very preferentially wrestling, professional wrestling, and then MMA. So I got into, my dad was very into mixed martial arts. He started having me watch the original UFCs. I think the first UFC I saw, I was a few years old and it was like UFC three. So we're talking like, Ken Shamrock and guys that had, oh, yeah, yeah. Weeks. you know, or like, for instance, the first guy I really looked up to was Vitor Belfort. Yeah. And if you remember Vitor in the initial UFCs, a Herculean physique. He was I mean, I'm a, yeah. yeah. 19 years old, raw, ripped, you know, 205 pounds. And I sold those type of things as well as with professional wrestling. And I used to go to all these, you know, in person, you know, I live about two hours or I grew up about two hours outside of New York. So I had the opportunity to go to Madison square garden and wow. see things live. So I saw these physiques and I always, you know, wanted to emulate that. And I remember asking my dad around eight, how did they look like that? You know, was they looked like real life comic book characters. And so he explained, you know, very like rudimentarily um, that, you know, weight training and they put their body under stress and that's what created that. So probably around nine or 10, we went and got a weight set just adjustable dumbbells. I think they went up to like 15 or 20 pounds. And literally I did what every kid does. And I did bicep curls. I did some push-ups, and I did like tricep extension every single day. So no <laughs> result. And then it was honestly, you know, I think we all did that. We were all susceptible to that. We saw what we saw in the magazines or, you know, on, you know, on TV and we emulated that, but with, with no results being, you know, uh, achieved, unfortunately. So it took a couple of years actually until I actually started like a formalized weight training program, but I got very into distance running when I was a kid early through middle school and through early high school. And I was quite good. Um, however, at a growth spurt around 15, I went from like five, seven to six foot. Um, so very quickly. And I just outgrew my structure. It was, I was you know, getting very tall, but I was very underweight. I was about 110 pounds at six foot tall. So you can imagine severely underweight. And so I had some structural integrity issues and I had a back injury, which landed me in a back brace for about a year. Okay. So during that time, yeah. So during that time, I started looking into recovery modalities. I got very into rehabilitative therapy and I had uh, a PT that also had, her husband was a chiropractor who was a bodybuilder. So really through the rehabilitation practices, they started me with weight training initially just for my back. And then we built things from the ground up. So going into leg training and, and full body. And I got a very rudimentary strength and conditioning type approach. Um, and honestly, within a few months of that, seeing how it helped my um, recovery from being unable to even you know stand and, and have regular posture to the stability and strength that I saw in my body changing um, it made me take a much different approach to life in general so previous to that um, I actually had when I was running I had an eating disorder so I, I was massively under consuming calories and over over 
you know, um, expending calories, just trying to stay as light as possible. So having seen that, you know, now I'm looking at weight training magazines and flex and I'm going on bodybuilding.com and I'm seeing all these different facets of information saying that these guys are eating, you know, 10 ounces of protein per meal. If you remember early 2000s, it was very high protein with Chris Aceto um, or guys like that, high carbohydrates, very low fats. But I saw that they were fueling their body and it kind of changed my ideology on nutrition because I was always very restrictive. So I've always been a very healthy eater, but the portions, I was weighing out my food at 10, 11, 12, which most people don't do, no. but I was doing it to, to manage caloric intake. So yeah. for me, everything was calorie-based. And then I realized, you know, I need to look more at the macronutrients, maintain the quality, but increase the quantity. So, and so I, where were you getting that sort of original information from? So two questions, really. One, how old are you? Yeah. Running? I'm 27. And where were you getting that original information from for tracking macros and calories? I think prior to your bodybuilding education. So honestly, just from regular dietary books. So I was I was looking at a lot of like runners world and, and at that time I was an endurance athlete. So despite the fact that they would promote carb loading, so that was very prominent. If you look at the research behind carbohydrate loading, it is an endurance athletes. That was only done a few days prior to the event itself. So you essentially run low, you know, train low, compete high. So essentially very low you know, calories during your training phases, which are long periods of time. And then we would load up and, and junk load, you know, with pasta, pizza, things of that sort, you know, process and refine carbohydrates prior to the event itself. And, you know, you got an ergogenic effect from that. Um, so I was always managing calories, but I wasn't, you know, fueling my body with what it needs. And I think a combination of having done that and just overtraining in general, it contributed to that back injury. And it was kind of like a shift in my life where I kind of put a halt on, on the running, the overtraining and the under eating and bodybuilding allowed me or, or the process in which I got into bodybuilding allowed me to say, wow, like there's a different form of fitness and it could be something that I'm not hurting myself or restricting myself, but instead I'm fueling myself. I'm looking at nutrition differently and elicit an effect. During those early times where you sort of got away from the endurance aspect, did you get away from that unscathed? Because I've, I've heard of people doing that and them getting them having sort of issues with testosterone levels and all that kind of stuff. Was that ever a problem with you or did you manage to get away from that? Okay. You know what? Honestly, not. There was no biomarkers that I could see that were drastically tanked. So I did do blood work on a repetitive basis, but really it was just what I was feeling and in terms of my body developing. So like I said, I was fairly underweight for my size and I, I just wasn't having the recovery capacity. So it wasn't that it affected me too much hormonally. Now, mind you, at that time period, I was 14, 15. I'm in, going into puberty. So I'm in the prime of, of natural testosterone production and things of that sort. But I did have, you know, I felt weak. You know, I had issues. One thing I did have was, was hematology. So I had very low iron counts and low hemoglobin. Um, so that was one thing that I had to increase red meat um, consumption, things of that sort. But nothing that was too deleterious in my health, luckily. Good, good, excellent. Um, so, when did it transition from okay rehab? We, we've gone past the cardio phase. We've gone the rehab, running the running phase, rehab. When did it transition to I want to look really good? I want to compete. Or when did that happen? Okay, so so <laughs> after that year of doing rehab and, and actually getting into weight training, I was going to go back to track. And, and honestly, I got so involved. And and I'm the type of person I was very um, scholastically inclined. I was very into studying. And so it went from being something that was helping me to something that became my entire focus. So I started reading very heavily on nutrition because I did realize I had an eating disorder. I was massively, you know, uh, calorically restricting myself as a kid and I didn't need to do so. So I realized the only way to deal with this instead of seeking treatment is to 
educate myself. So I got very into nutrition, very into supplementation and into training and literature and all that kind of stuff. Um, so by 16, I was like full, full board into this lifestyle, eating four to five meals a day, spacing out my protein, you know, drinking casein before bed, um, timing my supplements, doing things of that sort. And I just did it to aid in performance to increase um, you know, obviously increase my body or improve my body composition. And just due to a passion, I didn't think anything about competing. You know, at that time, by the time I was 16, 17, I'm six foot two. Um, I was still a slender guy, very lean, looked like a model. And that's honestly what I was going for. Um, at the time, there was guys like Greg Plitt that were doing yeah. tons of covers or Michael Hearn. And yeah. there were guys I looked to, tall, elegant looking guys that could, that were intelligent, they were articulate, and that attracted me more. Now, I really liked the research and I liked the, the training styles of the guys like Jay Cutler at that time, or Kai Green especially. Kai Green's based out of New York. I used to go to his training seminars. I used to go to gyms to see him even in high school. Wow, cool. um, so yeah, so it was, it was a cool environment, but I realistically looked at myself and I said, that's not really what I want, A, and B, I don't know if that's, that's possible. So, I love I love that that's such an option for guys these days, like coming over the last ten years. Because well, when I first stepped to my first gym in two thousand, like everyone there was about eighteen stone, you know, two hundred fifty pounds, like everyone. And I'm, I'm a kid walking into this place, I'm thinking, that's really the only option I've got. So <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So I did. I ended up going to powerlifting because I was like, I don't want to do that because these guys are too big. But had I had I grown up a little bit later, I probably would have gone into maybe more, you know, classic physique or men's absolutely. physique stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but see, this still wasn't an option. So the reason I went the fitness model route was there was no men's physique. There wasn't, there was the WBFF, which wasn't too prominent in my area, but they had the muscle model contests and stuff. But fitness modeling was extremely prominent, especially that I lived near New York City. So I looked at guys in the magazines and I said, all right, I don't know if it's attainable or if it's realistic, nor is it um, something that I desire to look like a professional bodybuilder. But at the same time, I want to be lean. I want to be cut. I want to have an athletic um, aesthetic physique. So really it went from, we were in those early to mid two thousands where everyone was doing perma bulks and stuff. And then all of a sudden the, the genre or the era kind of changed into more of, you know, these aesthetic types and things yeah. of that sort. And so I kind of went in that, that capacity. I trained hard, I ate adequately. Um, but I wanted to create more of an aesthetic physique that it didn't matter if I was going to compete or not, but I was going to look like I was someone that trained year round. That sounds great. I think it's great that we've got the option for that now. It is socially acceptable to do that. And it's, we've just got so many more options on the table because it's not for everyone just to get booked up and massive. And, it's, and, le and let's face it, it's not healthy. <laughs> so. No, that's thing. so I'm very much into the health component and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into discussions about that. But I saw the, the effects that I did have tons of friends and then eventually coworkers that competed both on high level in terms of nationally. And then also I have several friends that are pros and even Olympia level pros. And I've seen the, the harm or the, you know, the effects that they've went through, um, through certain components of bodybuilding, which there's no judgment on that part, but I knew I wanted to do something more longevity minded. I want to, I want to be someone that is in shape and doing this and promoting a healthy lifestyle for the rest of my life. Definitely. So, um, we've talked about sort of beginning and backstory. Let's talk about, uh, your drive now from talking to you. And this will come through the podcast as we carry on going through some topics. You're tremendously driven. So we've not talked about business so far that much, but we're talking about business. We're talking about bodybuilding. We're talking about all manners of self-improvement. Where does that drive come from? Let's take it again back to the beginning. Where did your inner drive come from? So I've had a variety of people on the podcast recently, and some of them have drives from deaths in the family. Some of them are drives from perhaps parental influences, both negative and positive. 
thinking back to to yourself, and this might be a personal question, but where does your own drive come from? Uh, definitely comes from my childhood. Um, I was um, raised by two parents, but primarily my mother and my father was sick uh, essentially my whole life. Um, had heart disease, he actually just passed away a few months ago, but he, he dealt with a long-standing uh, heart condition. So multiple open heart surgeries, uh, bypasses, things of that sort. So he was very inactive in my childhood. So it was essentially just me and my mom. And she's a very different ideology or outlook on life. So I feel like this is applicable to all walks of life and all people, but especially bodybuilders. A lot of people are driven by results. They're driven by the end result. You know, you do a contest prep, you're thinking 12 weeks in the future. She always ingrained in me the importance of the process. So doing your best on a singular basis, meaning every single day, checking off all the boxes that you need, because worrying about what's 12 weeks away, what's six months away, what's three years away is not going to get you there any quicker or in any better place. However, if you do your absolute best and you check off all the boxes, you stay disciplined and you do everything necessary to meet your goal on a daily basis, those days compound. So I've always been extremely process oriented, which I think is something that a lot of people overlook. Everyone says they love the process. They love it when it's the end of the process. They're done with a prep and they're no longer calorically restricted, restricted, or they're at the end of an off season, they've stopped pushing food, but they've gotten the results or they've been able to accrue the mass that they, they initially wanted. However, when you love doing this on an every single day basis, I think that provides you with this internal drive, which doesn't rely on motivation, but rather relies on your own internal discipline. I love that. And I just want to highlight that point a little bit because you've, you've written about this before. It's motivation versus discipline. And I've talked about it a lot as well. But uh, I love that. It's great. I mean, motivation can maybe get you off the starting line, but it's very short-lived. It's based on emotion. And you can have shit days. You can have days where you feel bad. You can have days where you don't feel like having the food or you feel like wanting more food. Discipline and motivation and uh, a routine is going to get you there. I love that. That's great. That's, she sounds like she was a fantastic influence on you. She's the best influence I could have. So I'm definitely blessed in that capacity. Awesome. Now, in terms of sort of your father being ill, and I'm, again, um, condolences for, for your loss. Um, yeah. uh, it's just your father being ill. Did that sort of drive you towards your focus on nutrition in the sense that, because, I mean, if I can relate a little bit, my, my father passed when I was 15 years old. Um, okay. And he passed for similar reasons, actually, um, heart disease. And the, his was more sudden. But growing up, I always knew that was something that was in the family. So I really took an interest in nutrition like yourself. And, and I, I started, I mean, I started competing in, in my sport, powerlifting, when I was 18. So I really wanted to remain lean, healthy. Absolutely. And was that sort of an influence for you as well? Without a shadow of a doubt. So like I said, I got very into um, sports early on, training very early on, but it was as a result of seeing my father in a sick condition. And it was due to his own actions. So, you know, smoking unhealthy eating patterns. He developed type two diabetes, which he ended up passing from complications. Um, and it was the things that ended up ended in his, his unfortunate death were all things that could have been preventable. And that's me being a hundred percent objective, but having realized that as a child, I said, I never want to live this way. I might be genetically predisposed to certain things, but I am in control of my epigenetics. I'm in control of the decisions that I make. So I've always been very, um, health conscious and that's been something that's really saved me in bodybuilding because i've i've sought out people that were more health conscious so whereas most people went with the coaches that were making the most improvements within you know short time periods and doing rebound phases where people are putting on you know 50 pounds of, of 
tissue um, and really pushing things, I've always looked to those that A, have done this a long time, B, have done it in good health, and C, promote things from an evidence-based approach where they're looking at the research and then combining with anecdotal experience rather than just going off of what so-and-so bro in the gym did and got a good result. Yeah, I think that's great. So um, if we uh, start sort of, we can go down the route of business now. So unless there's anything else you want to add with regards to sort of your own personal life, any other defining moments? You know what? Starting to compete was a, a defining moment for me. That's, okay, that's I like that. Definitely where I took this from a passion to something that it really expanded my mindset on, on all things. And it's things that I've learned because remember, like I said, I've always been process oriented, but all of a sudden I went through a phase and I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't admit this where I became solely results driven. And I got away from my original motivation or my original um, driving force behind what I did. And I lost sight of things for a bit. But um, I started competing in 2015 uh, in men's physique. I've done 12, uh, 13 shows actually so far, um, competed nationally a few times. And it was something that off the bat from my first prep, I was extremely passionate about. Um, we'll speak about my career later on, but I've had to do a lot of preps on the road, which have been hard to manage. Uh, so I definitely have tips for people out there that think that because they travel or that they have a career that they can't bodybuild, not true whatsoever. However, competing showed me, it, it taught me a lot of things about routine, about time management. Because when I started competing, I had been doing fitness modeling for years, but fitness modeling is very different in terms of the look that you're, you're going for. Um, it's something that a lot of times you could keep this look and just manipulate a couple of variables, maybe cut some water or water load if you're that, you know, that type of person. Um, and then also you have to realize that the editing behind photo shoots, the lighting, there's things that you could play to your advantage. You can hit certain angles, whereas the stage under that lighting, it, it's harsh lighting. You know what I mean? And it's showing everything, your, your strengths and your weaknesses. So really it, it made me push my training to the next degree, really calculate things. And I'm very meticulous. I like to titrate things and, and kind of tinker with different variables. And it really gave me a lot of skills and daily disciplines from your fasted cardio routines to your supplementation timing and things of that sort that I was doing, but it made me bring it up another notch. And that has been things that I apply to business. That has been things that I apply to my personal life. I'm very about the details. So I live by the quote, how you do anything is how you do everything. And really, I, I, that was instilled by me through competing because it is what you put in is what you get out. I remember uh, Dorian Yates made the same point. He's talking about people training sets and the whole idea that if you, if you kind of, if you kind of hold back on a set, then you might hold back on the next set and then it kind of seeps into your life. Okay. Well now I'm going to skip that meal and now I'm going to be late for work. And all of a sudden you just, it's a cascade of, I'm just slacking on everything. You know, yeah, absolutely. you got to draw the line and you say, well, no, I'm not, I'm going to give my best to everything. Shadow down. Yeah. Excellent. Love it. Love it. And um, so with your competition experience, now you've done sort of 12, 12 shows, since, 13, 13. 13 since 2015. Um, what's, what were, if you just talk us through briefly, what were some of the shows that you did? I think the audience would be interested to know like what you competed, which categories, which federations, stuff like that. Oh, so it's always been NPC and I've always done men's physique. So okay, um, men's physique came out in 2012 um, and it was something that I kind of held back on doing for a few years. I had some friends that were competing and I actually, I'd been a personal trainer throughout college and I also ran multiple supplement shops. Um, so I was very into the nutrition aspect. So I was already prepping people. Um, before the days of online coaching, I had people come into my stores, we do in-person check-ins um, and things of that sort. But I was prepping people for the stage, but I was always... Um, hesitant to do it myself. It wasn't 
due to the fact that I didn't think I could do it, but I knew I was very career focused and that was always my number one. Um, and eventually I said, listen, I had a, a friend and like an older brother figure that had competed, uh, actually 20 years my senior. It's a guy that I've known since I first stepped in the gym and has really mentored me. And uh, he kind of turned the tables and he said, listen, I would really like your help with nutrition, but you know, I, I want to get on stage and I think you should do it with me. Now that year, I, I actually was traveling a lot for work. I was working in distribution. I used to travel about 65 to 75,000 miles a year uh, on the road, so extensively. And I said, listen, I don't think this is the right time in my life. I just started this career. Um, however, I'll prep you and I'll be there every step of the way. So on the mornings that he didn't want to get outside his door for cardio, I went and dragged him out of the house. <laughs> and at his show, I was backstage with him. And after seeing his transformation from someone that had spent 25 years in the gym to a, a real competitor, so from a gym bro to an actual very competitive athlete, it inspired me and made me want to do the same. So my first show um, was in 2015. It was in the summer. It was August. I competed at the Excalibur Cup, which is based in uh, PA, which is a neighboring state to where I am right now. Um, I ended up third place. So I did well off the bat, fairly so. Um, and I had a good look at the time. It was very similar to what I had modeling. I just kind of, you know, did more of manipulations in terms of water. Um, back then, I actually manipulated sodium and did things I would never do now. Um, you know, and, and approaches that I was instructed by my first coach that I don't agree with at this point, but it, it's a learning experience. Yeah. Um, and I kind of bit the bug. And so like, if you look, um, I didn't compete this year, 2020. So in four years I did 13 shows. So I was fairly active. Um, but the bulk of those shows was my first year and a half. I mean, like I said, I caught the bug and I, I competed six times within the first nine months of competing. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't want to stop. Yeah. 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 Um, so at that time, you know, it was early in men's physique. There wasn't um, the increase in size as it is now. They were looking for a more slender beach body physique. So I was very easily fit into that category. I did well. I won some shows. Um, and as I started to get deeper into competing, I, I competed at many large shows like the Metropolitans, which is based in New York. It's Steve uh, Weinberger's show. So Bad Francis Powerhouse Gym. Um, you know, I've competed at the John Kemper Classic, which John Kemper is an old school promoter from the 90s who unfortunately has passed away, but he's a legend in New Jersey. So I've won that show before. I won that in 2016. Um, I've competed, you know, I did six shows that initial first year between 2015 and 2016. And then I really took it serious 2017. And that's where I really plotted to make a national run. Um, I competed at the Garden State, the MPC Garden State, which was a week prior to Team Universe, which is a pro qualifier. Um, so I got second there. And then the next week at Team U, I got eighth in uh, my category for uh, nationals. So MPC Universe. Um, and so I was on a good trajectory. And, you know, I was really looking at making 2018 a year where it, my focus was primarily on competing, you know, going for that pro card. And I started realizing that in the year that I had prepped in 2017, I lost sight of a lot of personal relationships. I was losing track of certain things business-wise. And although I was making progress in other aspects of my life, but especially in bodybuilding, I wasn't making as much progress as I had in the past. And I wasn't enjoying the process as much. I was starting to lose sight of that. And so since then, I still have competed, but I've, I've done it for a different, with a different intention in mind. I've done it with challenging myself to say, how can I balance bodybuilding with other aspects of my life. And I don't mean that in the sense, I don't believe there can be quote unquote balance, complete balance. Yeah. But I mean that in the fact that I don't sacrifice everything within my life from a career and financial aspect just for competing because I know so many athletes, whether it be professionals or amateurs, 
that they don't work a nine to five or they don't like her job in general, um, that they sacrifice their health, they sacrifice their financial stability and they sacrifice their social life to compete. And I do believe that in order to be the best at something that you have a desire in or that you want to excel in, you do have to make sacrifices within that moment. So if you're doing a 12 piece, yeah. I think that's a very realistic way to look at things. And as long as you've got that in the back of your mind, like I need to find some kind of balance. Like you said, there's not going to be a hundred percent balance no. for everything, but as long as you're aware of it, you can sort of know when to draw the line. I think that's where you're, what you're saying. Without a shadow of a doubt. So when I'm in a prep, I'm locked in. There is no, there's no flexibility in meal plans. I have a set routine. I don't do flexible dieting. You know, every single meal is calculated. I do not veer off plan. There is not a condiment that's not measured. There is not a veggie. I even track my vegetable intake. Um, I don't believe, I believe in being extremely regimented with those aspects, but I do believe that you need to at least excel in other aspects of your life. So I always have a two out of three rule. So Two out of three rule is family, fitness, and finances. So I need to, in every aspect of my life, prioritize two out of three. It can't be one. You know I mean, it has to be a majority. So during preps, it'd be fitness and maybe finance, or it'd be fitness and family. And in other phases of my life, it'd be, you know, fitness and family, and, you know, or finances and family. But it had to be a blend where I wasn't just prioritizing one thing. Um, and I feel like that's gotten away from a lot of people. And despite the fact that that might help them excel, I always think about the future. You know what I mean, and what is that me having sacrificed everything in the moment for this 12 week goal? What is that going to set me back later in life? So that's really, I've taken a step back the last couple of years competing. Um, I still have been active, but I've done it more in the sense of I'm going to get in shape and then pick a show. And if it happens, I'm going to, I'm going to nail it, but I'm not going to put a deadline, which is going to, you know, make me sacrifice, especially career goals um and we're gonna get into business and, and we'll we'll discuss you know the the strain that that puts on a person's you know psychology and, and time constraints um but at the same time you know i've always made sure that i'm in shape i'm ready for the competition i believe if you're going to do something do it to win without a shadow of a doubt just don't sacrifice the, your entire life in the process yeah. absolutely yeah so if we move on to business then and um Let's talk about sort of business experience in the early days. You said in the early days you you were a manager at various stores. Um, yes. Talk us through your experience of that. Um, how did you get? Firstly, how did you get into it? I mean, you you were very scholastic. You were interested in in the, the books and interested in learning. And when did you decide to sort of go down that route? Was it sort of did you do something like economics and business at school or something like that? Yeah. So I started very early, honestly. So like I said, I started training about fifteen, um, and I off the bat. I, I knew I didn't have a great physique off the bat, to be honest with you. So I said, how am I going to get around this? I'm tall, I'm, I'm very underweight. I need to educate myself. And I really believe in that in everything, um, whether it be from a, a business aspect to um, even a personal relationship aspect. I believe in investing in time and educating yourself so you can become a better version of yourself. Very into self-development as well. But so I started reading Back then it was forums, you know what I mean? Um, it was boards. I was list, I was reading everything T Nation put out, everything bodybuilding.com put out on their boards and their forums, and then reading the magazines um, and just trying to educate myself. And then I would go into local supplement shops, whether it be GNCs or it be independent supplement stores, so that I could extract knowledge from those that were more experienced than myself. So I was 17, uh, junior in high school. And I had been going to, you know, a local franchise GNC that was owned by a very knowledgeable guy who was into fitness. He had been a personal trainer for years prior to investing into the business. And I would ask him a multitude of questions. I would, I would spend all my money. 
That's like, I'm telling you all the, you know, this was the days of early super pump, no explode pre-workouts had just come out. Yeah. Um, and so I was investing all my money into cell tech and all these supplements. Oh, um, I remember those. Yeah. I, I, it was, it was, it was ultimate orange back when I was younger. That was the, uh, that was the one who blew your socks off. <laughs> without a doubt. And so we thought those were necessary. But I didn't just want to take the product and believe in it and get a placebo effect. I wanted to understand what was happening to my body, you know, what was causing these physiological changes. So the owner of that store realized that I was very passionate and interested. So eventually he told me, listen, you're here so much, I'm going to give you a job. You know, you're here enough that I can employ you. And you know <laughs> enough. So I started working there early. Um, and that was something that I didn't see me doing as a career, honestly. Uh, I went to school for law, my degrees in legal studies. So my four years of college, I ran um, I, I worked as a personal trainer on the side, but I also ran both corporate GNCs as well as I ran independent supplement stores. So I got the corporate um, aspect where I was in management during the year, the school year. And then when I would move back home in the summers, I ran an independent retail store, which was more brick and mortar. And they allowed me to do more of research stuff. So I had the opportunity. I mean, I was doing this since high school, but I was ordering bulk powders you know, initially from like your true nutrition's and your bulkpatters.com. And I was making my own stuff. So my friends used to call me a chemist in college because if they needed an ergogenic supplement. I was the guy to go to. I was mixing different uh, nootropics into pre-workouts, the racetam family, and all these things that were, you know, not common at that time because it was the age of proprietary blends. And I was the type of person that I wanted a clinical dose of things to get the elicited effect that was in the research. So I was always the person taking bulk creatine monohydrate. I was taking beta alanine powder. I was taking back then arginine because L-citrulline wasn't as popular um, and making my own concoctions and choking them down because there was no flavor additives at the time. Um, so I got very passionate about that. I did that all throughout college. And my last year of college, I had a a career development class. Now the concept of this class was you were going to explore something that was outside of your degree. So for instance, I was going to school for legal studies to become a lawyer. Uh, so I did not explore anything within the legal realm. And the reason was, was that the thesis of the class was that you were going to essentially communicate with someone in a position that you desired and eventually apply but it was, it was not for an actual job. It was just almost like a, a, a fake internship. Yeah. Um, so I ended up stumbling across a company that I had heard of. I had no idea the, the, how large they were, but it was called Lone Star Distribution. They were number two in the country in terms of distribution capacity for supplements in the U.S. Wow. And uh, I got in contact with the national sales director. And now I, this is somewhat luck. I don't believe in luck mo mostly, but the situations that I landed myself in, God was looking out for me. But um, I got in contact with the national sales director. Now, at the time, he was looking over thousands of accounts. So the fact that he agreed to correspond on a weekly basis with a 20-year-old kid uh, and, and answer all his questions about supplementation and business is beyond me. But, but he really did me a, a service. And so I communicated with him the entire semester. And at the end, I said, I said Alex, listen, uh, I have an assignment. And essentially, I have to you know, get uh, – you know, submit a resume and an application for a job. Can you just send me a mock application? I said, you don't even have to look at it. I just need to have the confirmation that I sent it to you. So I filled it out to the best of my ability. Now, mind you, I've been working in supplements for a few years, but I'm 20 years old. And uh, the position I applied for was a regional sales manager, uh, a regional sales rep, actually, for supplements. And uh, at the end of the semester, I got an A in the class, and he also offered me a job. 
Um, now, mind you, I still had one more year left of school, so I couldn't take it. It was uh, the positions were either in Georgia or Texas, and now I'm based out of New Jersey. I'd never been to either one of them. Yeah. So um, I said, listen, I really appreciate it, but I'm going to pursue law. Like, that's what my family thinks I'm doing, and, and that's what I'm going to go with. So the next year comes around. Uh, I graduated, and uh, two weeks after graduation, I turned 21, and on my 21st birthday, I got a random call from Florida. And I was actually in GNC working, um, coincidentally, on my birthday, and I never used to answer random phone calls. And something just inside me said, listen, answer this. And, and I said to a customer I was working with at the time, I said, listen, could you give me a couple minutes actually my birthday? And I think it's one of my family members from Florida. So I answered the call and it's from headquarters of that company. And now Alex was no longer at the company, but he had left my name as a reference that if we ever needed a Northeast rep, you know, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, to contact me. So I got a random phone call from a guy that I had no idea who he was. And uh, he, was, he was looking for me and had heard all about me and my interest in supplementation. And uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in potentially coming out for a job. Um, and so I went through the process of interviewing. And, and soon after, um, I started a career at 21 years old in corporate distribution with the second largest company. So I went from representing one month, you know, products in GNC and studying for the LSAT, because that's actually what I was doing, uh, getting ready for law school to traveling the country and representing at that time, 190 brands. So that was the start. So off the bat, I'm representing Optum Nutrition and BSN and Gasperi and all these brands that I looked up to my entire childhood or, or since I got into this. And uh, eventually I transitioned from that. I became the number one sales rep in the country. Um, so I did very well, but it was because I was so passionate about it. You know, any trip I volunteered, especially being younger, I was about 10 years younger than the next youngest rep in my company. So I knew I had to set myself apart because I was still young and, and still doubted as, as with any position when you start somewhere. Sure, yeah. um, and I also, my family wasn't too supportive of my decision to go into the settlement industry. Yeah. Well, they thought you'd in law. So yeah, absolutely. So they wanted me to have, you know, a quote unquote professional, you know, career. And they thought of supplementation, especially in that era, um, as, as like a kid's job, you know, you did this in college. That's just something to pay the bills, uh, not something to make a life out of. Uh, so I wanted to prove people wrong. And, um, luckily over the years, I established a very good reputation. Uh, eventually the company I worked for got bought out by Europa sports. Europa is the number one largest distributor in, in America. So they sponsor the Arnold, the Olympia, the owner of, um, Europa is actually, uh, an Olympia judge. Um, so very well connected and, and they represent 350 companies at that time. So, um, luckily it was a merge. They had bought us out, but, um, I was one of the few employees that they kept on. Um, so I traveled the country with them and, uh, from there, you know, it's, I've been in the supplement industry a long time at this point. It's been years, uh, seven years professionally that I've been doing this. And then three years prior to that, you know, since high school, but uh, since then, I've been national sales director at multiple companies. Uh, I've been a key account manager most recently at Nutribio Labs, which is known for being one of the best manufacturing companies for supplements. So I saw the ins and outs of actual product manufacturing in-house. Um, and I worked with companies like Bodymilling.com was my main account, iHerb, all these large e-commerce accounts. And now most recently, as of the last six months, I've been national sales director at Anova Farm, uh, which is an innovative company based out of New York. And uh, not only do I handle all our domestic accounts nationwide, but I also help with uh, product development and uh, research and formulation. Yeah, brilliant. Now, um, one of the, uh, the questions was, um, what, what was it like working at bodybuilding.com? Because uh, that, that seems to be everyone's sort of, you know, everyone's introduction to bodybuilding is bodybuilding.com forums, right? So you actually worked there. How was that? So listen, this that was a dream come true. So like I said, when I first got into uh, into training, think about it, bodybuilding.com, especially in those like mid 2000s, that was everything. 
that's everything. I remember the first year that I got into training, I believe it was 2005 or 2006, and Lee Norton was doing a Lee series called yep. Diary of a Natural Bodybuilder. He was young, maybe 24, 25, and he was, he was going through the whole process with bodybuilding that was his sponsor. And I remember being on the boards and I, I dug into every single thing I could on that site. Um, and so throughout high school, I ordered from them, even when I worked at other supplement shops. So when I got the opportunity, um, I was running actually a, a chain of retail stores in between one of my jobs. I was uh, helping to expand a, a business, a local business. And so uh, Nutribile was the company that we sold. It was our number one brand in stores. And I'd been working with them for quite some time. They had brought me on as an athlete. And they had been after me to, to become an employee of theirs. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to get back on the road. Because previous to that, like I had mentioned um, a little bit earlier, I was doing about 65 to 75,000 miles a year on the road. I, I mean, I was never home. I was on, at home maybe two to four days per month. That gets tiring after a while. Without a doubt. So I'd taken a step back. I went into the stores. I helped build that business with a friend of mine. And I was very passionate about that. It allowed me to train more. That was during more of um, the days where I was very focused on competition. So I was able to stay at a home base, you know, Monday through, through Friday and not have to travel the whole week. Um, I was able to have more flexibility on weekends that I could allocate more towards my clients as well as, as my own training. Um, so when I got back into it, I knew I wanted to do something I hadn't done previously. So in distribution, I had been a rep, you know, a state rep, and then I worked up to a regional rep, and then I worked up to a regional manager, and then I was eventually an assistant national sales director. So the only two things I had not done in the supplement industry was um, a national sales director, and then also I had not done e-commerce accounts, so meaning online websites, because I always did direct-to-consumer, or I always did brick-and-mortar, rather. Um, so when I got the opportunity, they gave me the, the accounts list, and bodybuilding was the first one on there, I was elated. Uh, I'll tell you, I was like a kid in the candy store. The first time I went out there, <laughs> I walked into this building and I looked around and I saw a place that I've seen Jay Cutler do training videos at. Yeah, yeah. The first time I got to train there, I actually went at 4.30 in the morning because I had meetings all day. I was doing presentations. Yeah. So I said, listen, I, I can't go without training here. Yeah. So I would go at 4.30 in the morning um, and then I would go through a whole you know, 10-hour day of presentations to all their executives, their customer service staff. But it was a phenomenal experience. They were my number one account, them and iHerb, which iHerb, if you remember, they were the sponsor that did the live cast for the Olympia a few years. Um, so very big. They're very big for international distribution. Yeah, they're quite big in the UK. We uh, Some of the stuff that we can't generally get in our stores, people ship it over from iHerb, yeah. Without a doubt. So they were my two best customers. And then I handled, handled all GNCs nationwide, all vitamin shops, and then several other large accounts. Um, were under my, you know, under my account listing, but really my main focuses were bodybuilding and I heard, so those were my main relationships. So bodybuilding in particular, it was an amazing experience. I got to travel out to Boise, Idaho. Um, I would go several times a year, probably every two months on average, um, meet with their executives, meet with the content creation team and, and did so many different things than just selling them supplements because they truly are like a family environment. So it was something like it was kind of coming full circle. I remember when I first headed out there the first time with our vice president at Nutribile, I was, I was speechless because I thought about this journey that I had been on, um, you know, at that time, 11, 12 years, um, and starting at one place where you look up to these people or you look up to this, this information hub, um, and then you're there, you're working with them personally, and yeah. they're coming to you for information. So I went from seeking out all their articles on citrulline and all these different ergogenic aids to giving presentations in front of 300 of their employees, informing them about the research on supplementation. That's so great. it was a nice role reversal, but it was, it was eye-opening that 
the, the value of hard work and, and consistency. That's amazing. So uh, after bodybuilding.com, uh, where did you move on to uh, from there? So you, you're, was, that, was that straight to where you're working now? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so fantastic. I, recently, in November, I left NutriBio, so I stopped working with bodybuilding. I had a, a great run with the company, but I had known Chris, who owns Innova Farm, for years. Uh, we worked together years ago when, I, when we were both in distribution, and he had a company that was extremely innovative. So they were doing things that a lot of people in this industry weren't doing. Um, he's very interested not only in the research and what the clinical data say, says, but he's also into funding research. So he believes in, in giving back and investing. And I find myself really aligning with companies like that. So for instance, when it comes to training, I'm very into the work of Mike Isretel and Renaissance Periodization. And it's not only because they, they're insightful and they're yeah. knowledgeable, but they, they invest back into the research. Yeah. You know what I mean, um, and I'm very, um, I'm very keen on, you know, aligning myself with people that, are doing things to advance the industry and not just their pocket. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people don't know that, but Mike's Mike's company has invested into research studies to essentially very, get very more of an answer into things that we need to know about. Yeah, which is great. Without a doubt. Yeah, so it's not just self-serving, but it's serving the entire community because it's not just Renaissance Periodization. It's not just a Nova Farm that's utilizing the information that we're putting out. Yeah. It's the entire industry that benefits. It's the people that use the same ingredients that we do or that have the same reasons as to why they're putting something into a formula to enhance performance, enhance cognition, or, or one of those aspects of training, and they don't have a reason besides anecdotally why that works. So we're trying to, to dig deeper, you know? So it's a company I'm extremely passionate about. They've allowed me to not only run sales nationally, um, but also to work in the research and formulation aspect where I get to utilize not only my experience in the gym or my own, you know, experimentation on beta testing for myself, but also taking all the feedback and the insight that I get from customers nationwide and really combine it with that. And as well as with the research that I'm, I'm reading on a daily basis and really try to combine and, and look at um, the most balanced approach at a, approaching supplementation. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm, I think it's so, it's so vital to sort of make sure we are putting forward things which do improve our body of knowledge because that then gives it to everyone, but also make sure we're advancing as a community, we're advancing. Um, so if we can kind of talk about your, just take it back to your experience with business and in all the places you've worked out, can you talk us a little bit about how you've, how you've helped people to build a brand, how you've built your own brand in terms yeah. of, you know, your, your presence online. What is it that these, what is it that, what are some of the, the key take home lessons with, when building okay. a brand? So when it comes to building a brand, we have to remember fundamental things of business in general. What is business fundamentally based on? It's, it's based on relationships because we don't just buy because of a brand. You know, some people will, will look at the influencers. I feel like that's, that's the biggest thing that's been watered down in terms of social media becoming so prominent because when I first started in this industry, and I'm, I'm sure the same can be said for you, there were no influencers and there was no very popular social media. So yes, there was ads that, you know, impacted us and influenced us into buying products, but it really came down to a relationship aspect. If you believed in the brand itself, you believed in the owner of the company itself, you took their, their products. And then from there, it came to an educational aspect. So always my two um, 
big keys of importance to center on have been two things. It's been relationship building and maintenance because you can't just build a, a relationship and a connection without maintaining it. And then also on education. I think both of those two key components, um, if you really center in on them, you focus in all your efforts and energy on them, you don't need as much marketing and you don't need as much flashy um, you know, advertising and things of that sort because those two things will speak for itself. First of all, you create a network and, and connections with people that they trust you and they believe in what you, you preach, whether it be on social media or in your advertisements or in the products that you endorse. And then they come back again and again to you. And they also feel that you're, you're investing in them because you're putting out products and you're investing into their business themselves. But also it really comes down to the education. So I've never, just like I do with my posts, when it comes down to my customers, I will go through great lengths to educate them on the products that I'm, I'm promoting or that I think would fit best for their, their uh, stores, their websites, or whatever it may be. And really when it comes back to those two things, it's not something you could really argue. You know, if we get along yeah. and, and you know I have your best interests in mind, you know my suggestions are, are going to be helpful and insightful. And if they're not, I'll take 100% responsibility. But I feel like you've really gotten away from that. And I see that in the supplement industry, which sometimes, I'll be honest with you, Faz, it embarrasses me to be a part of it because I see some of the marketing um, claims and, and we've seen the diet gimmicks and the same thing is, is done with um, supplementation. You know, we have companies that pr promote detox drinks and, and things of that sort that we know is not efficacious. Yeah. And at the same time, not only do we do that, but we have people that are charlatans essentially and they, and they take advantage of situations. So for instance, right now with COVID-19, there are so many companies that I'm familiar with that had no interest in, in health, in immune health. And they're trying to profit, they're essentially profiteering off of the situation and off of the consumer's fear, you know, the hysteria that has been spread around. So I don't believe in doing that aspect. I don't believe in the advertising. I'm not too big into marketing. I believe, yes, those two things are, you know, helpful components. But if you have nailed the first two, you will be able to build any business. So if we sort of look at online businesses and online coaching and stuff like that, how do you uh, build relationships with your customer base or potential customer base if you're based online? Um, you have very detailed posts, you have very informative posts, but what, 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 what are the kind of things we're doing to sort of reach out to people? Yeah, so it's it, two different aspects. So for, for my business for supplementation, I cold call everyone. So every customer I have, I cold call. I, I average between 40 and 60 calls a day. That's, that's what I do, especially right now that I'm, I'm working remotely. But what I've done over the years is I really believe, and you have to be the face of your company, not only from a figurehead perspective, as in I'm in the advertisements or I'm, I'm preaching what, you know, my pro my products are about, but any brand I've been with, I've traveled extensively. Like I was telling you, I'd be in Boise, Idaho, or if I went to visit, I heard I'd be in California. Um, and I've been all over the country traveling and, and meeting people because I believe in that face-to-face -face interaction, which right now, unfortunately, we don't have the advantage of doing, but I believe in setting the foundation through face-to-face -face interaction and then building on it and maintaining it through verbal communication or through calls or through emails or through text messages. And I really believe in, in the law of consistency. So those touch points, making sure that your communication is frequent and that even if someone you're, you're not benefiting or you know profiting off that that customer that day they can't make a purchase but you just maintain the relationship so a lot of times i've gotten to the point with companies where i've known our customer base so much that either when i've left a company you know they followed me to the next company i've been at or we keep in contact even if i have no way to you know work with them in any business capacity because we've built a friendship and I'm invested in them as a person, not only as a, a retail partner. So that's how I handle the supplement industry. But when it comes to coaching, it really comes from word of mouth. 
Um, so a lot of people that I've met over the years, I've been very fortunate that I've traveled extensively. So I've met a lot of competitors. I've met a lot of fitness enthusiasts at gyms that I've, I've done events at, or at, I'm at every expo that you could think of from the LA Fit Expo to the Arnold to the Olympia. And seeing that I walk and live this lifestyle, I'm very passionate. So if you ever met me in person, like I'm that person with tons of energy. So I've been very fortunate that I've drawn those type of people. So you put out that energy and you attract it yourself. So I haven't had to go the way of, you know, Facebook advertisements or Instagram advertisements or marketing in that sense. And not that I have any issue with that. I do, you know, I, I like researching social media marketing and things of that sort, but I just don't like it to me. I approach, I don't want, you know, despite the fact that I do put up posts with my physique, the reason I put the time into the effort of those captions, most people look at the picture. We know Instagram is, is a, a visual based algorithm. So there are plenty of people that don't read my posts, but those that are in for, you know, are interested in the information I put out realize, like you said in the intro of the podcast, it's not just about the physique. I yeah, never want to sell my services off yeah. my physique. I want to you know, sell my services off of the experience that I bring to the table and the knowledge that I have and the passion that I have for this. So that is where my primary uh, focus is on in any aspect of business building. That makes me feel a lot better about what I'm doing because like all I get shoved down my throat is Facebook advertisements. You've got to invest in that next month. But most of my, all of my business, I, I has come through word of mouth and just making sure my own clients take care of and anybody that I speak to, they get the genuine experience of me. So if someone DMs me a question, I'm happy to take some time to just answer it. And every now and again, you know, every now and again, they'll turn into a client, but also if they, even if they don't, I don't mind because I've given them a good experience of me. And the, so if somebody says, Hey, what do you think of us? Cause I'm, I'm relatively well known in my local area. So like, Hey, what do you think of us? Well, yeah, he's great. Good experience. Fantastic guy knows a lot of stuff. He'll take care of you. So, that makes me feel a lot better about what I'm doing. I've always wondered about the efficacy of putting yourself out there more for, you know, marketing and advertising and stuff like that. But you're saying that's, that's one strategy, but not necessarily a strategy you would It's, it's not the end all be all is what I'm saying. So I really do believe in or, organic business building because I have been a part of our big businesses that are very marketing based and I have seen the, the pros and cons of that. Um, but at the same time, I don't see the longevity in that approach because it's built off of, hype it's built off of you know uh, the temporary enthusiasm of the moment but if you can't maintain that through your relationship building and maintaining skills then what are you really offering that customer you've you've enticed them you've hooked them on on the line but you're not going to be able to maintain that that momentum or, or that um that relationship so I'm, I'm more so into that and I, I respect what you put out especially in terms of your content quality um, and you're getting clients that are interested in the knowledge you have and not just going off of, you know, your ads with your, your six pack out because that's here today and gone tomorrow. And I always remind myself, I'm, I'm always telling people, you need to ignore the brawns. Like you need to work on your brain as much as you do your brawn because 20, 30 years down the road, we might not look like this. You know, God willing we do, yeah. but, um, you know, if we don't, we still have our knowledge base and our mentality and we'll still be able to help others. So it's all well, about yeah. leaving a legacy, but also building something of permanence, especially with your intelligence. So if you invest into the research and into evidence-based practices and constantly keeping updated with things, that's another thing. I'm very open-minded. So if there's an ideology that I had previously that has been disproven through research or through anecdotal practice, I'm open to saying, hey, I believed in this previously, but I'm wrong. I'm wrong now. And I realize that it might've worked in the moment, but there is something more optimal, which I feel like a lot of people in this industry, they get, they get caught into one philosophy. You know, it's, it's, all day Saturday refeed meals or cheat meals. And it's this, you know, it's, it's a five, two structure. It's, it's this or that. And not realizing like that might work today, 
but doesn't mean that it's going to be the best approach next year. So here's a question for you. Um, it's a little bit off the, the plan, but it's a, it's, a, it's a selfish question. So yeah. if we are going with, say, our preferred way of advertising, which is word of mouth, being genuine and, and, and using that to build relationships, how do you then take that to be to a wider audience, to say an international audience? Where does that, where does that come from? How, how, so, how, how do you take that step? Because I suppose it's, it's at odds in a way, isn't it? So how do we go to that next absolutely, step? Absolutely, without a doubt. So you're, you're speaking about how to scale. So right, yeah. you have to start small. So just like I'm saying with my own relationships, I started as a, as a regional rep. So I represented New York, New Jersey, and then I expanded outwards. So I believe in one thing. I believe your network is, is like a tree. It's all these branches. So I really believe in, in creating a really strong foundation at the root of your tree, your base. So what is that? That's your backyard. So like you said just a few minutes ago, that you have a strong foundation, you have a strong presence in your community. I believe that's the most important thing because if someone is to go through a more organic means of finding out about you, which would be asking around, you know, word of mouth, they're going to go to your community. They're going to go to the people in your gym. They're going to go to the people in your home state, your Providence or wherever area you're in. And if those people that have the most interaction with you don't have a positive referral or positive comments about you, that's going to be reflective on all other aspects. So how you treat one person is how you need to treat everyone. So I'm very into that. So when I was only in New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, I treated those guys like they were the best customers in the country, even if they weren't. You know what I mean? And I've always taken that fundamental ideology. And I believe that that could be really applied to coaching. I've seen that myself. So I have a client who's an Olympia level competitor. He, he competes in men's physique. Wow. His name is Matt Mugford, very close friend of mine, phenomenal competitor. And I've seen a lot over the years, a lot of other coaches, including ones I've worked with that have a preference towards their, their high level competitors. So that would be like me preferentially treating Matt better than I would my gen pop client. And I don't believe in that. No. Now, will Matt maybe require a little bit more time, effort, and attention towards the peak for an Olympia show or for a push show without a shadow of a doubt, because you're doing as much as necessary for that specific client. But if I have a gen pop client and they have specific needs, PCOS, or they have certain metabolic conditions or, or even psychological conditions that we need to approach, I need to spend just as much time and attention to detail with them. So I believe that's really how you expand things outwards. I feel like you have to really get structures in place where you build your fundamental base to your tree. And then those people are going to speak highly about you and your community. And little by little, you're going to grow from maybe that state or that territory. You know, for me, it was the tri-state, the metropolitan area. And then little by little, I grew to the East Coast. And then all of a sudden, I've expanded outwards. And just recently, I've been getting into international sales. And it's because I have connections with people that know other people. You know, or in, in other cases, it's, it's just the same thing as social media. So think about we're from completely different, you know, countries however we have a connection because we have things in, in mind we have things in common we have a very similar approach to attract those type of people so i believe that regardless it doesn't have to be just marketing based because think about it if you want intelligent clients and people that really care like you do are you going to attract those those type of people through you know faulty marketing teams no, you're going to attract people that that's the type of personality that they are. They yeah, want, yeah, yeah. Six, you know, they want a six to eight week shred. They want a four week detox. Those are the type of people that get attracted to those marketing that fall, unfortunately fall victim to that type of marketing. Yeah. Um, however, if you want people that are about long-term results, they want a real connection with a coach. They're going to look for someone that does interact with every single person that hits them up on social media that does put out 
insightful, you know, accurate, you know, information and knowledge, and that has the type of personality that vibes with them. So that's really has always been my scalability. I've never worried about having the most amount of clients, whether it be in a, in a sales aspect from supplements or from a client base. I've worried about having the, the clients with the best um, impression of me and those that I have the best relationship because I can always make it larger. If I have more time, I could always expand that business and take on more clients. Whereas if it was the opposite and I had too many clients and not enough quality, it would eventually go awry. It's almost like you were saying right at the beginning, it's focusing on the end goal, which is more clients rather than the process, which is putting out quality content. Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Love it. Love it. Yeah, fantastic. And I, I'd say in terms of what you've said, it is the answer to that question. That's pretty much what I've been doing and what has been working. Well, it's, it's what is the things which have been working for me. So yeah. I think that, that's fantastic. So I've got a few clients in, in Canada, a few in America. Um, I used to have one in Switzerland and that's mostly just through word of mouth from my services, you know, just so it, it's, it's started to sort of get out there. So it's nice to see that. It's certainly nice when you get an email from someone who's completely out of your circle and you go, Hey, I've heard of you. Let's, let's work together. That's, it's, Absolutely. That's great. No, that's, and that's reassuring to someone like yourself or even someone like myself that you, we are doing the right things and that we don't need to go the big scale. And, and this is what I say, and, and I meet with marketing companies for my own businesses, um, not my, my training business, but more so my supplement business. And I never want to make, you know, I feel like a lot of people, um, they put on a facade for whether it be their coaching business or, or their professional business, and they want to make it bigger than it is. And I would rather have a small company that has really genuine connections and ties. And then when we're ready to put marketing, money into marketing dollars or time and effort into marketing, then I expand outwards. But like I said, I'm really into becoming very good and putting structures in place to maximize what I'm doing currently. So if you have 50 clients per se, give them the your utmost energy and you know um, effort and maximize those 50 clients. And then if you see, hey, listen, you know, I've worked in my schedule. I've really optimized how I go about client check-ins, the scheduling of those check-ins, how I get back to them within a 24-hour basis or whatever it may be. I feel I could take on 10% more clients. But you know, if you get to a, a time and place where you don't have that many inquiries coming in, then you go to marketing aspects. You say, listen, I have an extra five hours a week that could be allocated towards client work. Well, right now, what I'm going to do with those five hours a week is I'm going to study social media marketing or I'm going to study Facebook marketing and Facebook ads. And I'm going to invest those five, you know, five hours for the next couple of weeks into that. I'm going to invest some money and allocate a budget towards it. And then I'm going to see what the return on investment is. And then I might get the 10, you know, most likely I'll get those 10 more clients that I wanted. And then I got to put a stop to that. I love, I love what, everything you said about marketing because I have a friend of mine who works in uh, recruitment for the engineering industry, which is quite big in the area that I'm from. And uh, he says all the same things, uh, which is great. He's always talking about building relationships, going the extra mile for the people who you have a relationship with. And he told me once he, he secured a massive contract for I think something like two or 3,000 workers. And he arrived on the scene at uh, something like four o'clock in the morning to bring the head, head of that particular facility a cup of coffee and to ask him how all his workers were doing. And he drove right the way up to, I think it was a couple hours drive up to Manchester to uh, to go and talk to him. Uh, that personal level approach on the very first day that we was getting all these people working in, it just counted for so much. So it's that, that that's fantastic. It's, it, I love it because when you, what you're saying, it, it spans across all industries because it's good marketing. Love yeah. That. And think about it. Even if you look at, at business analytics, 80% of your income comes from 20% of your clientele. So it's always, it's always easier to retain a client than to gain a new one. So I always think about that from an app account aspect or even from my own clients. And I always recommend that to other people that, that I consult with on business. 
it'd be easier to retain a longstanding client who believes in you, who refers you, um, and who pays you monthly than to, you know, take time away from that client and do less of a service than you generally would and then go looking for other clients, you know? So I'm very big into, like I said, you know, earlier, how you do anything is how you do everything. So applying that aspect and just doing your best and everything and really nailing that process. And then from there, as you become a little bit more time effective and efficient and you're, you're able to manage um, different aspects of your life and your work, your work-life balance, then you start allocating more time towards, you know, marketing, towards accruing more clients and towards expanding your business, you know, in a wide perspective. I think that's a great message. Uh, I think we're talking about some really high level stuff here. And I'd, I I think people are going to get a lot out of this. I think people who are just trying to sort of start their business. I know a few guys who are starting, just starting their online businesses and just starting their coaching services. And I do feel they're making some of the mistakes that we're sort of warning people against. So I think this is some great knowledge. Hopefully, you know, that will, that will they'll take that and actually kind of run with it. So let's, uh, let's move on to your own bodybuilding.